Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. In fact, this episode will interrogate if that is an unpopular opinion at all. Research from the Fabian Society in YouGov shows that more people in Britain share the values of the Labour Party than the Conservatives. But what does that mean for the kind of platform Labour should stand on? What should it mean for our, our electoral expectations? And most importantly, what does it mean for the country? I'm Connor Pope, and as usual, I'll be discussing that with Progress Chair Alison McGovern, Director Richard Angel, and this week's guest, Fabian Society Deputy General Secretary Olivia Bailey. First, though, there was some new research released by YouGov last week that claimed that there was a new way of looking at social and political divisions in the country. Not age or education, but whether or not you like the TV sitcom Mrs. Brown's Boys. Those who like the show are more likely to be pro-Brexit, older, working class, and list immigration, criminal justice and prisons as the political issues they care most about. Those who dislike Mrs. Brown's boys are more likely to be middle class, younger, pro-European and list abortion restrictions, climate change and green energy as their key issues. So my question is, do you like Mrs. Brown's boys and do you think cultural markers like this are a good way of better understanding the country we live in? Alison, can I come to you first? Do you watch Mrs. Brown's boys? I am only allowed to watch children's television or the football basically <laughs> so I have no idea whether or not I like it having heard your introduction now I feel like I ought to watch it in some like awful politician-y type zeitgeist type kind of to, to understand zeitgeist the country. Tape way that in order to understand the country I ought to watch it but that's obviously like the worst thing to do right because then that's like being like one of those people <laughs> who like watches tv programs so that they can try and understand the truth. But like yeah i literally like my child basically is in permanent control of the uh television and other than that we managed to wrestle it off her because mommy and daddy like to watch the football and that is it <laughs> other than that i've watched precisely nothing i'm not just out of touch and this is brown's boys it's like game of thrones all of this stuff not a clue 
Olivia, have you ever watched Mrs. Brown's Boys? No, I'm afraid um, I haven't formed an opinion on Mrs. Brown's Boys. <laughs> I have watched Game of Thrones, though, Alison, so I'm beating you on that front. Um, I'm, I'm told that the North doesn't forget or something. The North doesn't forget. That's very true. Um, <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine keeps saying to me, you should use this line in your speeches. It'll be great. And I'm like, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> it's just like the time, the, the time that a former member of staff of mine drafted me an article that turned around this whole like metaphor about the mirror of Erised which is in Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. And I was like reading it going, what on earth are you talking about? You've not, you've not read Harry Potter either. I have now because my daughter has started reading it. Oh, but brilliant. Oh, that's good news. I think rule yeah. number one for politicians, if you are going to use cultural references in your speeches, is probably to know what you're talking about first. Yes, yeah. yes exactly. definitely understand <laughs> exactly. that. That does feel like it. <laughs> Unfortunately... A lot of my articles have like lyrics from 1990s Britpop in them, which <laughs> authentic <laughs> so, at least. It's authentic, but not much use. Richard, Mrs. Brown's Boys. I actually quite like it. I sit down with my family and watch the Christmas edition, although we didn't this year, but have done previously. It's the most watched show on Christmas Day now, I think, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. It's, it's, it's great. It's more people is watch that not it strictly? than the. No, I think this year it was... More people watch it than More people watch wow. Mrs. Brown's okay. Boys, yeah. I didn't actually watch it this year, but I did watch it the year before. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things, we're going to talk about the Fabian Conference later on in this edition, but it, Stella's point at last year's Fabian Conference was that the lay party will be out of touch if it isn't watching Mrs. Brown's Boys. So this is a good telling reminder that if the lay party does want to be in touch with some of the people it seeks to represent, then this is the show to be watching. I remember for years I was, uh, you know, a kind of proper member of the sneering metropolitan liberal elite who said that Mrs. Brown's boys was absolutely rubbish. Anyone who thought it was funny must clearly be an idiot without having ever actually seen the show. Wow. And about, uh, yeah, I know. And then about a year ago I watched it, I was like, this is actually quite funny, isn't really? it? Yeah, yeah, genuinely. <laughs> I really like Dad's Army in the sense of like, it's one of those things that, that people... the most up-to-date <laughs> cultural reference <laughs> yes. that you have, Alison McGill? No, but it's like... So people will say, like, Dad's Army, that's, like, really, like, old and dated and whatever. But actually, if you watch it, it is truly hilarious. The, like, timing and the kind of, like, facial expressions. It's absolutely brilliant. But do you think cultural markers like this um, are still kind of worthwhile and, and, and tell us something in the modern day when actually... You know, Dad's Army was on in a time when there was four television channels. Everyone would basically watch the same thing at night. Now with Netflix and the internet and whatever, are there really these things that actually can give you an insight into the country we live in or is everything a bit too disparate? I think there's definite value in thinking about it. But I think that as politicians and as people in the political sphere, we need to take a step back sometimes. Because if you look at the last election, 2015, um, I think one of the main reasons we lost is because we had a series of retail offers on policies, but we weren't very in touch with people's lives. We had no cultural story to tell. And so I think we spend too much time worrying about the intricacies of, you know, the nuance of the Brexit debate or whether or not this particular policy is popular and we should spend much more time, you know, maybe it's just more time watching TV, that would be a good, good place to start, but much more time thinking about the wider things that are going on in our country and in our communities. I think a gogglebox really... strategy. That yeah. should be yeah. how we win the next election, a gogglebox strategy. I, right, well, there, there have been worse ideas and people have been paid a lot of money for worse ideas. I think the interesting thing is that if you talk to a lot of politicians they feel completely com like compressed. Their time just feels totally compressed because they are doing what Liv is saying, thinking a lot about the detail of policy, which is like incredibly important. But it do it makes a disconnect. Like if you haven't got time to sort of chill out and watch telly with your family, like you lose something. I'm not quite sure what it is, but or maybe just politicians are just inevitably obsessed. 
with politics. Also, what volunteers itself to politicians is people at the harsh end of things and the problems that people face. So often you can spend a lot of your time trying to solve people's problems and get really into, well, the way to sort this out is this kind of series of details. But most people, of course, are kind of getting on with life all right. And it could be made better and it definitely could get worse for them. But those people sometimes can get forgotten. And that's sometimes where you can end up getting in the kind of intricacies of things when most people live their lives in a much more general situation and obviously want to prevent the harsh times, etc. It's not and, wrong and, to do those and things. And Rich, I know you like love it when I talk about the football, but <laughs> I do get a lot out of being able to just like go to the football and enjoy it like everyone else does. And I think there is something about making sure that you've got time in your life in politics to enjoy life just like everyone else does. Mm, I think that's true. On a similar note, uh, before we... About the football? Yeah, before we wrap up this conversation, the one video game that I ever play is Football Manager, where you, on your computer, are a manager of a football team and they try and make it kind of hyper-realistic. And I uh, got the 2017 Football Manager about a year ago and I switched it on during uh, over Christmas. I thought this would be a nice way just to get away from from work and from thinking about politics and kind of get away from it all. And the first message that comes up is that they've now installed a social media feed and essentially your club's fans will just send you messages <laughs> telling you what a terrible job you're doing. It's like, this is just like going to work every day and logging <laughs> onto Twitter. Can, 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 I t- can I tell you a bit, of, about a bit of research that um, I'm in the middle of doing that you're getting hot take for in advance from a Fabian Society research project which is very much an exclusive I've spent quite a lot of time going around the country spending days in the life of Labour voters to try and unpick a little bit more why it is people are choosing to vote for the Labour Party why they're loyal to the Labour Party totally fascinating I could bore you all day about it but on this question of you know what makes people feel connected to politicians there's there's sort of, as I just said, we spent quite a lot of time talking about performance politics and policy agendas and small details. Actually, that is so insignificant when it comes to why people are actually motivated to vote for the Labour Party. You've got emotion on one hand. So, you know, that's as simple as like having an instinctive reaction to a leaflet and the way words are placed or, you know, reacting to how you perceive somebody's personality to be. And you've also got cultural connection. So, you know, I could never vote Conservative because my grandparents would roll over in their grave. I'm working class and therefore it's part of my identity. It's how I've grown up and understood my values. And we spend so much time in that third category of performance politics and nowhere near enough time in emotion and culture. So hopefully when you read my report in a few months, you'll uh, like some of my conclusions. That sounds great. I think we do need to leave that conversation there, but do stick with us because after these short messages, we'll be back to talk a bit more about the feelings rather than policy of politics. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Alison McGovern. I'm the chair of Progress. And I have something special to tell you about. And that is upcoming in March of this year, our Progress Political Weekend. This is the next in a series of these political getaways at Stoke Roachford Hall and is a very special thing. And I'm going to introduce Stephanie Lloyd, our Deputy Director, to tell you a bit more about it. Yeah, so it takes place uh, this year between the 17th and 18th of March. Uh, You can apply for your tickets now. Just head to our website uh, and you can purchase them straight away. If you haven't got the money to be able to afford that, we also have 30 amazing bursary places available for Progress members, at least half of which will be reserved for women, uh, which is excellent. Uh, If you want to be considered for a bursary, uh, all you have to do is email a 550-word article into office at progressonline.com. .org.uk with the title it's often said that moderates in Labour are without ideas. So what idea do you think centre-left people in Labour should embrace to revive our fortunes in the country? So that's basically people can come to the political weekend and if they want to get a discounted ticket then not only can they write us down some new ideas which would be great but hopefully we'll also find some brand new brilliant writers who can be part of progress and our generation of great new thinking. Exactly it's fabulous. Everyone's a winner. So earlier this month, the Fabian Society released some new research about values and the and the attachment that uh, the British public have to the values of different uh, political parties. Now, we're lucky enough to have um, Fabian Deputy General Secretary Olivia Bailey with us here today. Could you just kind of introduce, tell us a bit about this research? Absolutely. So this is part of some polling we did as part of two projects, one on Labour's connection with rural areas and the other being my project I just talked about, about Labour voters. And one of the really interesting things that we found from the poll was that there is this pretty sizable gap, 10 point gap between people who say that they would vote for the Labour Party tomorrow, 31%, and people who say they share the values of the Labour Party, 41%. That figure is actually also significantly higher of people who say they share the values of the Labour Party, 41%, but only 33% say the same thing about the Conservative Party. So what it shows, I think, is that basic values that you would associate with the Labour Party, things like fairness and people getting a fair chance in life, are widely accepted, widely held values. The Labour Party is attached to those values. And there is a pool of people out there. There's the basis for a Labour majority. And so it shows us the path, I suppose, to forming a Labour government, because if we can start telling a better story about how we're going to put those values into practice, um, we can build that Labour majority. Does it kind of like look into possibly why the uh, Tories outperform in general elections the number of people who share their values? Is it because they're kind of uh, seen as more pragmatic, do you think, and that people have, they think, while Labour is the party of values, as it were, the Tories are more kind of pragmatic and government-based, is that? There's loads and loads and loads of reasons for it. I mean, sometimes I think, you know, it's about who you think is going to be a better in government, you know, a better prime minister, a better government. Um, So performance is really important. And, you know, your views on current performance is really important. Often also people reasonably make choices about things that are going to affect their own lives and have to make trade-offs between their values and also policies that they think are going to advantage themselves and their families. That's also a significant factor. So there are lots of different reasons for this. But I think I take from it that 
the UK is broadly speaking, you know, socially liberal, instinctively wants people to have a fair chance to get on. And the Labour Party is most closely associated with that thought. So, Alison, it's a progressive Britain, I think we've just heard. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of fits really, doesn't it? Because especially with, in 2017, like, let's be really honest, it didn't look good in that general election in 2017. And it wasn't just people who'd been like Corbyn sceptic for want of a better expression and who thought that. I think that everybody in the Labour Party was quite nervous, partly because of the polls, partly because just the raw fact that Theresa May wouldn't have done it if she thought what mm. was going to happen, you know, if she thought that was going to happen. What actually happened was we were met with like a kind of tide of warmth, I think, from the public. And I think that was about values. I think that emotional connection that people had with the Labour Party that Jeremy Corbyn was actually quite good at putting across, whether it was because he just kind of was able to communicate through rallies in a way that doesn't normally happen in general elections because they're not normally so much a, a referendum on a, on a prime minister's leadership as this one was, he was able to put across a kind of a different set of values that people really wanted to hear about and they felt that they wanted articulated and expressed. So I feel like what the Fabian's research has really demonstrated in the general election in June, and that is a really good thing for our party because it means that people feel strongly identified with us, whether or not in those set of questions that Liv was talking about, whether or not they would always conclude that they would vote for us. They kind of feel like they know what we stand for as a collective group of people. And that's a really good base. I suppose there's lots of questions about where we go from here, but it does give me real hope, actually, that if Brexit was the moment where, you know, the country perhaps revealed its socially conservative side, since then we've been kind of out and proud progressive since, and it's the purpose of people like us in politics to see what we can do to, you know, like make people feel like even stronger and also do something about it. Yeah, Richard, this research seems to kind of fly in the face of uh, the main narrative that we've had over the past few years, which is that the country seems to be moving towards the Tories and towards things like Brexit. Do you think that this is the real underlying kind of trend in, in this country and that we're, we are heading towards a kind of being more progressive nation? I hope it is, but wishful thinking hasn't served me very well in the last few years. I don't think this research is massively different to the kind of research that would have come out under Ed Miliband's leadership and even for most of the time under the last Labour government. People broadly know we're the good guys who want a strong and active state and a welfare state for people that will look after the underdog. That is sorted. But the bit that this research should make us do is not kind of uh, double down on that, but think wow, if people think we're the good guys and they actually really like us and they're predisposed to us and particularly don't like our opponents, why do we keep coming second? And that's what we don't spend enough time trying to work out. And it seems to me, therefore, that all we have to do to come first is actually relatively small. And it's the, the sense that you show, and I think Jeremy Corbyn did this very well in the election, show that we know what those values are and they are always at the top of our mind. And I think government in particular made them look like they went to the recesses of our mind because complex things were, were therefore at the front. I think that that's really important. But if you, if you only have to overcome essentially competence, why aren't we working on that? Why do we pay this high price of purity and end up not having Labour government when on all the big challenges that face our country, we know that most of the things that actually shape our country aren't the manifestos, but are 
issues that land on your desk when you're a minister. And on every given day, I would prefer Alison McGovern in the Treasury to any of these Tory drones that are there who always pull the policy in the wrong direction. You were talking about cultural references earlier, Mrs Brown's boys. The West Wing is my kind of political thing to watch. But once you've watched it all, you reflect that actually Bartlett doesn't really do very much that he got in his manifesto to achieve. What you see is that how much comes across his desk and that as a Democrat, he can shape the world through those events. And that's what we're currently missing out on. Do you think that uh, there's a sense here that maybe our expectations should be really quite high for the next election because the, there was a, more people said that they shared Labour values than said that they would be prepared to vote for Labour right now. Does that mean that actually we should expect to get all of those people who have Labour values to vote for us? Is that something that you think? Well, I think from the point of view of having for general elections, I think what's interesting is how you do that. I mean, I slightly disagree with Richard, I think, in that I think it's a mistake to think people are with us on values, great, so that we have to we have a point to prove on competence. Therefore, you know, for any given question, we have to tell people what exactly this will do to interest rates or what exactly. You know, those things are important because you shouldn't you, you should know the details of what you're what you want to do and you should know all the consequences. But when you're talking to people about why they should vote for you, I think we forget to tell a story about it. And I think that we forget to describe the kind of picture of the world we're trying to get to. And I think that uh, people are more likely to vote for people they feel they connect with who have got a bit of a story about where they're trying to get to. I don't think it's about uh, kind of like, you know, in the end, like all politics and individuals can make mistakes and things can go wrong. And I think the public know that. What they want is a sense of who we are as people and like what the what the world is that we're trying to create and the kind of picture of that and a bit and it's not about policy crunch. I don't, I don't think, think, I it's, think the it's the absence the... of the picture. It's the route map towards it becoming a reality. And I don't think people in this country are against us putting up their taxes, for example. But I think what they are against is when, when you put up the taxes, you put up the spending by even more and you come back round the milestone for even more money down the track. And it's the it's often on our radicalism, we just need to reassure a little that we know what we're doing and that we aren't taking them for granted in that process. And I think that's the opportunity. Uh, I disagree. I don't think that there's... I, I don't think that the way that you get people to vote for you is ever more, you know, assurances or or detail like that. I think it's I think it's about communicating in a better way. It's, all, it's authenticity and honesty and um, making sure you get the media pitch right so that you you know don't let the Tories run you around on not being able to manage the economy for a significant period of time um but um really hammering home a few very clear messages that tell a really clear story about what we are and what we stand for for the country but the um, substance underneath has to be real as well you can't of course and that i do agree with but you know i think that the the values point is that our progressive values are really important to people. And if you look at, you know, the Trump, the potential for the Trump visit and the protest that people sort of were kind of beginning to plan. And I think it was Gabby Hinsliff. She writes for The Pool, which is an, an online comment organisation, but she used to be a political editor and I cannot remember for which newspaper. But anyway, Gabby Hinsliff said, we should have the Trump protest anyway. Let's have a victory party. <laughs> <laughs> because it would be like 
the best thing for our uh, country, you know, since the Olympics opening ceremony. It's like, why do people love those moments? Because we get to express who we are and like we get to like tell a little bit about our story. There's a danger, I think, with some of the debate, especially post-Brexit, that's about sort of dividing the country between, you know, liberal Remainers and then leave voters who are instinctively somehow less socially liberal. And I actually think that's really, really dangerous. I think sometimes you get, um, I've certainly heard people on the left argue that because all these places voted to leave the European Union, therefore Labour should stop talking so much about women's rights or LGBT rights. And that's just not, like, it's it's crap. Um, sorry, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear on here. Um, you can definitely say crap. I can say crap. It's crap. Um, and if you look at any of the, you know, British Social Attitude surveys, you can see that gradually, you know, more and more people, an overwhelming majority of people in this country are really proud and happy about LGBT rights and women's rights. And we should stop trying to sort of create this false divide in our country, except that, broadly speaking, we are socially liberal, forward-looking country and not listen to arguments which try and force us as a Labour Party into less liberal positions on those things I, I i think i have a kind of similar point is that um essentially is it a kind of danger to our ambition when we have a number that we can look at and go that is a number we can get to and this is how we can get to it and essentially in this case it might be 41 percent of the country but under ed Miliband, it felt like it was 35 percent of the country they went if we put this group and this group and this group and we offer them this and them this and them this and then actually what what stops you then is uh, is building that bigger narrative and, and how you end up with just kind of retail offers to get you to the line that you've decided that you want to get to. Exactly, because isn't it interesting that that uh, as at at this moment UKIP are debating? You know, I think they've thrown out this um, woman who was going out with the leader who'd said awful racist things uh, about Meghan uh, Markle, and they're all outraged. And like, isn't isn't that interesting that now? Because she'd said horrific racist things. People are not saying sort of like, well, everybody's entitled to their view. You know, even UKIP uh, voters and activists are, are expressing their disgust and trying to do something about it. Well, you know, I think UKIP might ask themselves a few questions about what they've done to you know, attract people with such views. But the point is that you don't you don't maximize people's sense of fairness and justice and equality by, you know, backsliding or as, as Liv said before, by saying, oh, well, because we lost a referendum or because we lost an election, we have to somehow um, agree with social conservative views. What we do is we try and, you know, set the standard, talk about what we believe in, but crucially, try and find a national story that brings it across to people better, where they can connect with it and understand it. And I was thinking to myself that something a Tory said to me in the, over the debate about gay marriage. Um, and as I was whipping that bill in the Commons, uh, I had you know talked to the Tories about what they were doing. And one of the one of the Tories said to me, you know, in the end, our side because the Tories in Parliament didn't have. A majority they were relying on Labour votes so he said to me look in the end our side you know we've got all these people who say they're against gay marriage but they're probably one wedding invitation away from changing their minds <laughs> and I think that about most people in this country is like they're probably like you know one good story away from changing their minds mm -hmm. about stuff and like you know whether it's the royal wedding to come or whether it's other things you know at some point someone and the royal family will marry someone of the same gender as them and then you know truly the establishment truly will wow, become yeah. <laughs> become progressive and uh you know i think most people are persuadable you just gotta 
talk about it in the right way. Olivia, I want to um, look at something that you wrote for Progress magazine last summer. Um, It was an article you and Fabian General Secretary Andrew Harrop wrote for the magazine in July, I think. Um, And it was called The Next Mountain. And you outlined the 64 seats that Labour need to win to get an overall majority at the next election. Um, They were divided into three types, um, working class slash leave, Middle Britain and Scotland. What I thought was really interesting was that uh, 23 were classed as working class slash leave, 21 as Middle Britain and 20 were in Scotland. Um, And they feel like they are possibly... Again, we've kind of got these three types of groups and they might have contradictory values and that sort of thing. Is that true? I, 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 I can't, is that a kind of proper way of looking at maybe how these uh, seats really are? And is there a way of having a kind of bigger narrative that takes all of that in? Because appealing to simply one of these types of groups clearly isn't going to be anywhere near enough. Yeah, absolutely. And with apologies to Scotland, because obviously there's a huge diversity within (laughs) Scotland and I've put them all in a massive group and obviously um, not knowing sufficient about Scotland. I don't want to comment on that. So apologies, Scotland. (laughs) Um, But the other two groups, um, I think it is useful to think about it in these terms because it exposes how big the tent needs to be, I suppose, for the Labour Party to win a government. It also shows to me that, um, you know, we don't just win an election on the back of being a middle class Romani party because we then lose potentially significant numbers of our um, working class traditional labor base who perhaps voted to leave the European Union. Um, Also, those people are the people who have traditionally been loyal to us. Those are the people who is in their DNA to be labor and labor supporters. And for the first time, that really is just over recent times is fragmenting and disappearing. That's really worrying. If you talk to people who voted Labour at the last election because they voted Remain, for example, or because they, you know, they live in a big city and they've got a good job in financial services, those people are voting Labour tactically because they broadly think that Labour's values are in tune with theirs, but they have no loyalty to the Labour Party. The people who have always been loyal to us, who have been there to, for us since the start, are losing losing faith in our ability to be there for them. And that's really, really concerning. So to win the next election, in my opinion, you need to recognise that you're losing that traditional Labour base, as well as welcome the new the new voters that we're managing to to gather um, through, our, through our various positions on the EU and other things. But it, you have to try and do both. You can't do one or the other. Alison, I, I, I want to ask, because um, I think that that part of the story has kind of been lost a bit, whereas I know that um, knocking on doors uh, at the general election last year, I met plenty of people who said they'd voted for Labour their, their whole lives and weren't going to for the first time. And because we did exceed expectations, um, that kind of element of uh, of the election seems to have been lost a little bit. Um, do you think that that has kind of gone away or, or, or is there still something there? No, I think I think that's right. And like the the truth is, there should be there should be reason enough for Labour to win the majority, and that means getting a really good number of votes, even in a first past the post system where you know you don't need you need a um, you need a majority of seats, not votes. But you know, the general election in two thousand seventeen was a kind of weird referendum on the prime minister in under the context of Brexit. I think in a more normal general election. You know, people people tend to vote for uh, the person who they want to lead the country, and the 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 party and the sense of um, that who who they most kind of associate with. If you see what I mean, so I think firstly we've got a lot of questions about leadership, 
um, I don't mean, you know, um, uh, the who our leader is, but rather I think people have got to feel like we're in a good place to lead the country. I don't, I don't think it, that that's controversial. I think that's just when we get into a general election, we need to talk about what that leadership will look like and what we're offering people. Um, that's that's just that's just always true. That's what general elections are about. Um, but the other thing is this question that Liv has been looking at, which is our values and what pe- whether people associate with us. And have we got a way where we can put the things that we believe in and, and the issues that we care about into a national story that people can feel a part of? So whether that's a sense of our schools and what it means and where British schools are right now and what they're driving at and what they're trying to achieve for our kids or whether that's like, you know, the strongest national story that we probably have, which is the health service and what we're trying to achieve for people who need for it and what it looks like and what it feels like. We, we need those kind of big national stories that people can feel a part of. Because if you just end up with a bunch of people who feel quite happy with their lives and satisfied about where they are, telling other people like they should, they're not right for being unhappy, then we won't get anywhere. It has to be a serious attempt to talk about something that we can all be part of. Richard, we've heard throughout this episode lots of different ways of categorising people in the country and often they seem very contradictory, whether it's, you know, Leave or Middle Middle Britain, Mrs Brown's boys or not, or Labour values or Conservative values. What is the chances of kind of actually building a narrative that overlooks all of that and kind of, you know, is able to build bridges across these divides in the next few years, do you think? Well, I think that has to be what happens. This kind of patchwork will quilt politics of lumping together this group plus this group plus this group is often why we fall um, short. It is got to be a way of aligning what do Labour values say is best for the country? What does the country actually need? And how do we bring that about? And if you can kind of align those three things, I think you can build a politics that's got a shared platform for people. One of the things I liked about the Labour manifesto from 2017 was it reconciled personal security with our national security. So the sense that we can have a kind of economic inclusivity that will work for people and means that they can have dignity, bring up a family alongside renewing Trident and making sure we have a strong national defence. Those things brought together, if you will, the best of Jeremy Corbyn, the best of Tom Watson, and spoke to different bits of that coalition, which meant they didn't feel there was that contradiction. My sense is that to get over the line next time, I'm afraid what is needed is then the reassurance that we can bring that about uh, uh, to make that happen. So I think there's a, I think there's something already, I, I think the Labour movement is not far away from getting it right, but it's that 5% that really matters. But if we can just calibrate that, we can see it through and get over the line. I think that's probably where we have to leave that conversation, I'm afraid, but um, stick with us to find out how you have the chance to win a much sought after progress mug. So, Richard, I've heard a rumour that if people like the Progressive Britain podcast, there's something that they can do to help us out. There is, Alison. People can subscribe themselves. They can rate our podcast on iTunes and they can leave a review. And that means that not just gets to the audience that's already listening to the Progressive Britain podcast, but gets to other audiences. And Connor and I do a review show that comes out every Friday where we pick not just the best review, but the people who are engaging most with the podcast who leave their review that we give out a book, sometimes a mug, to the people who be engaging most. So we're keen to hear and make this a two-way conversation. So it's not just about audience participation. There's fancy gifts too. What more could you want? Amazing. 
Every week, Connor asks a political pub quiz question, which is then answered on Friday's Extra Show. My question this week is, which party leader of the past 15 years is also a former world record holder of the 100 metre sprint? Which is easy. Well, we'll see. We'll Anyone see. can get that. We'll be out of mugs by next week. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, send your answers, and loads of you will, because that is a very easy question, to <laughs> at Connor Pope on Twitter or email office at progressonline.org.uk, and you could win a Progress mug when the very obvious answer is announced on Friday morning. <laughs> We're going to wrap up now, but we've been delighted to have Olivia joining us today. Do send in your questions and comments through Twitter, email, or best of all, as an iTunes review. And me and Richard will respond to them on Friday's show with the best iTunes comment winning a prize. And don't forget to subscribe and rate. Thank you for listening. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was when in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks to the brilliant caroline crampton who produced this podcast When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.